Welcome back to Bible Time, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. We're getting close to the end of 1 Thessalonians. This will wrap up our fourth chapter, and um, Lord willing, we'll start right in on the fifth chapter. But of the times and seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. And Lord willing, God will give us some light in that uh, in that verse as to the sequence of um, eschatological events. In other words, end times events. Just just a big fancy word that means end times in, in its basic idea. So it says, comfort one another with these words. And this is here. God put verse 18 before verse one of chapter five on purpose. And in the Bible, you need to be aware that when God says something about something, and then later he says something about something, he expects you to take the first time that he said something as a groundwork and as a foundation for the next time. And so you look at it in order and you say, okay, this came first, this is what I need to have as foundation. Do you remember how Jesus talked to the scribes and Pharisees? They said, is it lawful to put away for a man to put away his wife for any cause? And Jesus said, um, I forget exactly how Jesus said it, but he said there that God hates divorce is what he told them, that God hates putting away. Divorce is actually not even biblical at all. Putting away is the biblical term for it, and our modern divorce doesn't even resemble biblical putting away. Um, Again, Pastor Reggie did a great study on that on Christmas evening, December 25th, 2022, if you want to look that up. Um, Just um, incredibly good um, exposition of what the Bible says about putting away, and the purpose of it was in, in studying the life of Joseph. So it wasn't because he had an axe to grind. It was just because it's what the Bible says. Just a really great study on that, and I recommend that. Um, if And here's the reason. As we studied yesterday, um, the bride, we got into the bride when we were looking at verse 17. There's a reason for this. If you don't understand biblical marriage, biblical putting away, biblical fornication, biblical adultery, if you don't understand these things, these relations, the biblical husband, the biblical wife, um, biblical children, biblical adoption. If you don't understand the the family biblically, you're going to have a hard time with eschatology. You're going to have a hard time with a lot of doctrine if you don't understand the family in the Bible. Now, um, here... In verse 18, he says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And that that injunction to comfort one another comes before the verse about the times and seasons for a reason, because comfort is at the root of all end times revelation from God. God didn't tell us about the end times so that we could worry and fret and have thrills and chills over it. God told us about the end times to comfort us. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would comfort us today. I pray that you'd give us settled hearts, calm hearts, that you'd take away the smoke and mirrors and, and Lord, all the scholastic theology that has messed with our minds, Lord, and given us false ideas and assumptions about you and about your word that have clouded the truth and the raw reality of your scriptures and made it difficult to understand and rightly divide your word. I pray that you just help us to come with clean and clear minds and take the Bible for what it says and believe it. We love you today. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. It comes after the verses about the Lord descending from heaven. Um, Let's go to verse 14. Let's go all the way back to 13 and read down through here. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. This whole discussion of the end times began with the desire that the Thessalonican church would not sorrow as others which have no hope when their loved ones die. He's says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. And this opened up the end times. This is how we got into this discussion. This is how the subject was broached here by inspiration of the Holy Ghost. The apostle Paul is comforting the Thessalonican church over the, over those who are dead in Christ, those who have died in their persecutions and have died since they were saved. And he says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So we find that the, 
resurrection of Jesus Christ is a foundational truth to understanding um, end times prophecy. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is really what it all hinges on. Without Jesus Christ's resurrection, there would be no end times. There wouldn't be end times to discuss. Um, Please, please do not let end times become your prime time. Don't let the main thing become the end times. Your main thing is today. Tomorrow is in God's hands. Today you have a job. Today you have a direction. Today you have a purpose. Today you have a work. Today... You have something to do for Christ, and when the end times come and you're with Christ, you will no longer have the opportunity to preach the gospel. You'll no longer have the opportunity to find a lost soul and tell them that it's not too late because it will be too late once the end times have come. We have a limited time. This is the harvest. This is the harvest time. The end times are given to comfort us and to encourage us as we persevere in the harvest. They're not given for us to have great big squabbles over. They're not given for us to spend our lifetime with our face buried in books, studying the end times and all these ideas out that we have about what we think might happen and everybody's opinion. That's not the purpose of it. It's for comfort and it's for doctrine. Go to 2 Timothy real quick and we'll come back here and finish reading this. 2 Timothy 3.16, here he says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means end times prophecy is given by inspiration of God. That means Revelation 12, Revelation 19, Revelation 2, Revelation 3. Excuse me. That means Daniel chapter 9 through 12, um, Ezekiel chapter 40. That means the whole stuff, all that about Gog and Magog, the temple of Ezekiel, all these things. Um, even the prophecies are given by inspiration of God. There was a critical um, theologian, a scholastic theologian that criticized John and said that he'd basically lost his mind and he had a bad dream and that's why he wrote Revelation and that man is in hell today. He didn't believe God's word. Now, maybe he repented. I will say that. If he repented and turned from his wicked ways then and believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, then he's saved. And you say, well, um, maybe he believed the rest of the gospel and not revelation. That doesn't seem likely. Uh, may, may be on a rare chance that he did that. You know, Martin Luther tore the book of James out of his Bible. Later, he repented. and said, At first, he said this was added by the Pope. And later, he repented and said that what he did in doing that was wrong. But it took him a while because it seemed to contradict the doctrines of grace that were all throughout the Bible. By grace are you saved through faith. And then James said um, that faith without works is dead. So in any case, um, sometimes Christians can do that, but that's a very serious thing. And a lot of times, listen to me and pay attention. A lot of times when we get to eschatology, end times doctrine and theology, what will happen is we get this faraway look in our eyes and the teacher gets this faraway look in his eyes and everybody puts on their fantasy hats and goes off into la-la land and starts uh, making everything analogies and everything interpretive and pretty soon we we, everything's spiritualized and, and it's this man's opinion and that man's opinion. And, and well, listen, the locusts here, these, the locusts have stings in their tail. You ever hear of a stinger missile? Garbage, hogwash. It's a locust with a sting in its tail and you want to make it a helicopter. What nut fanaticism. Just let the Bible be the Bible. Let it say what it says and take it for what it says. And then whenever, guess what? If you get there, if you get to the end times and you find out that that was a spiritualized description, this is the problem with that whole thing. They say John was looking at a helicopter and didn't know how to describe it. John didn't write Revelation. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. 
God wrote Revelation. John was the penman. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. John had, as he had hardly more to do with writing it than the pen in your hand has to do with writing a book. The difference is, and actually that's all he had to do with it. The difference is whether or not you use a blue pen or a red pen or a black pen or an extra fine pen or an extra thick pen or a jail pen or a ballpoint pen or a calligraphy pen. And that's the difference in the personalities of the writers. But the words and the letters were given by God. God inspired the Bible. We've got to get back to this. I don't know why it is even good Christians, when they get to end times, they take off, they throw out everything in the Bible about God writing the book. And they start taking humanistic perspectives into the word of God to try and understand eschatology. Why? And then they get their fantasy mindset and they've, cause they've been reading too much Lord of the Rings and Tolkien and, and that other, um, that other guy that's going to have to answer for God for his trash. Get ready. You know, you can hate me. C.S. Lewis and his Chronicles of Narnia garbage and witchcraft. They never should have written. Listen, I've got almost no use for any, um, allegorical Christian writings. Pilgrim's Progress is the best by far I have ever written. God seems to have really blessed that one that I've ever read. I didn't write it. Yeah, ha ha. In any case, Pilgrim's Progress is the best that I've ever read. And it's and it's got things in it that aren't exactly right to stick to your Bible. Stick to your Bible. And when people start writing a bunch of allegorical stuff about the Bible, get ready for heresy. It's coming down the pike because they have left the bounds of Scripture and almost without fail will end up teaching something that is heretical. It's a bunch of trash. You got a bunch of sci-fi Christians out here who watch all their Star Trek and Star Wars and Stargate and Star This and Star Path and Star Milk and whatever else you want to have out there. You just whatever if it's got star in it, people are gonna watch it. And then you've got this um you're watching all this sci-fi trash, and then you wanna come up with these books and movies about the Bible and try and teach spiritual truths with your science fiction trash, and you're gonna end up with hair. And for some reason, we come to the Bible whenever we start reading the book of Revelation and we take off, we take off the robe of learning and we put on the robe of the Jedi of Star Wars. We put off, we put, we take off the, um, the wisdom of God and we put on the Mickey Mouse hat of Disney World and we just start making up stuff and I don't understand why. Christians, get back to the Bible. Let the Bible define the Bible. We don't need Mickey Mouse theology. Get back to the Bible. Some of this stuff, honestly, Goofy could have come up with better stuff than some of the stuff floating around that people are holding to. And here's the thing. Get this. Once somebody gets a hold of one of these um, Disney World theologies about the end times, they will hold on to it tooth and nail. They will split over it. They will form new churches just to uphold their weird eschatological, eschatological bent. It's craziness. I don't understand why it is. This is not a fantasy world. And you say, man, you're on a rabbit trail. No, this is the message. Buckle up, because this is where we're going. This is the whole thing. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These words would not be comfort if it was all fantasy and allegory and spiritualized to where you can make it say whatever you want it to say. Because now it's a free-for-all. Instead of comfort, it's a free-for-all. Now John Doe gets to come to church and tell you that he thinks that the two prophets are the eucalyptus trees or something else, and make up some kind of making stuff up, because I don't even want to get into some of the weird stuff. But listen to me. You'll have somebody come to church, and you'll say, well, I think this means that, and that means this, and everybody will sit there with chills running up and down their back. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Did you hear this in times, prophet? Did you hear this great teacher? Oh, the blood moons. Oh. And they get all their chills and their thrills out of the Bible. Ooh. And they get all their in prophecy and we just need to get back to the bible god wrote the bible 
And he wrote all scripture by inspiration of God through holy men of God who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. There is not one thing that God wrote in his book that does not apply to you. Everything in this book applies to you. Everything in the book is for you to understand. This myth, myth, did you hear me? This myth that you can't understand the book of Revelation is satanic. It's from Satan. Satan is the author of confusion. God gives wisdom and God gives through the fear of God, wisdom and knowledge and understanding. We studied a little bit of that. We looked at Proverbs chapter one, where he says that God wants you to be able to understand the dark sayings of the wise. Revelation's got some dark sayings. And I'll tell you right now, there are things in it I don't get. But that's my fault, not God's fault. And I'll tell you one of the reasons there's some things I don't get in Revelation. It's not just my fault. It's mostly my fault. You know what else it is? It's all the stupid, Lord help me. It's all the stupid garbage, the worldly dung that I filled my mind with as a young man. You want to know why I'm against a lot of that stuff? Because I put a lot of that junk in my mind and it's taking years taking. Did you notice I said, I said that in the continuing present sense, it is taking years to get a lot of it out. And it still comes up and clouds my mind and clouds my understanding and clouds my perception of spiritual truth to this day. And I hate that trash and I'm sick to death of it. Why? Because it's clouding my vision. Whenever I was a young man and sucking it down and loving up all the junk out there that the world had to offer that I could justify and excuse and say wasn't too bad to have as a Christian, I had no idea that I was rubbing mayonnaise on the end of my spiritual binoculars. By the way, that's how they made Star Wars. One of the famous things in the first Star Wars music movie, they rubbed mayonnaise on the camera lens to make it look like they're, they had a flying craft. And the mayonnaise covered the wheels on the car. And everybody thought it looked like a hovercraft. And everybody, wow. Not kidding. Fact. Okay. Well, I was rubbing mayonnaise on my spiritual binoculars as a young man. And I had no idea. And I'm afraid that I rubbed in some sand with it that scratched the lenses in a few places. But God, by his grace, can even heal that. <clears throat> don't fill your mind with that trash. Don't fill your mind with a bunch of books. Listen to me. One of the worst things you can do if you want to understand biblical eschatology is go and read a bunch of books about it. One that is, forget that. That is number one, top worst thing that you can do. Go get everybody's book about eschatology and read it. That's the worst way to start. You need to get in the Bible and read it 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 again and pray and read it and pray and read it and ask God to open your understanding to the Bible. Some of you out there today, even maybe listening online to this um, podcast, some of you are sitting there with so much eschatological baggage of other people's opinions that you won't be able to comprehend the reality of what God is saying in the entire book of Revelation, possibly the rest of your life. Your only hope for that is going to be repent of the foolishness of putting man's words above God's word and go get Tim LaHaye and go get all the rest of the trash you've stuck in your mind, not Tim LaHaye the man, go get his books and everything else and throw them in the burn barrel and put some diesel on that and light it in a safe manner that does not hurt you <clears throat> for liability's sake. And maybe don't even try that at home demonstration purposes only anyway moving on burn the stuff get it out of your house and get your bible out and get back in the word of god just get back in the bible he says wherefore comfort one another with these words if your eschatology is not a comfort it is not of god or you're not of god either or you got two options there 
You see, eschatology is a comfort to the saved, but boy, it's not to the lost. Comfort is simple. Do you hear me? Comfort is simple. It's not. All right. So here we go. Little boy riding his bike down the street and he goes down the hill. Hey, mom, look, no hands. I can even go around the corner. Oops, crash, splat. Rocks embedded in his skin all over the place. Mom goes out and picks him up out of the dirt. And she gives him a five-minute explanation of the epidermis and its reaction to the caustic surface of rocks. Is he comforted? Not in the least. In fact, he probably feels worse. But instead, what does mom do? She goes out, she picks him up, she does say, oh, poor baby. Or maybe she's one of these country Ozarkian moms that comes out that says, I told you not to do that. Pick yourself up and get out of the road before you get run over. Either way, he limps back into the house where mom goes out and pets him. And then she picks the rocks out of his skin. And then she, if he's bleeding or something, she might rub some ointment in it. Or maybe he does it himself. But if he's got a mom that will comfort him, then she comforts him. And you know, if she's going to comfort him, comfort is simple. She puts a little ointment in the wounds. She maybe bandages the bad cuts. Maybe pats him on the head. Maybe gives him a kiss. How many of you want the five-minute science lesson on why your skin is bleeding in a a thousand places? And how many of you want the ointment and the band-aids and the kiss on the head? If you want the first one, the five-minute explanation, raise your hand. If you want the ointment and the band-aids and the kiss on the head, raise your hand. All right, we have a unanimous vote for the ointment and the band-aids and the kiss on the head. You see, this is, this is absolutely critical because eschatology, if you think eschatology is this high church study of scholastic theology that requires years of education in order to be able to comprehend, you will miss the whole thing. You're not going to get it. It's a closed book to you. You're not getting anywhere. Eschatology is simple. It really is. Um, comfort is simple. Comfort is sure. And eschatology is sure. Now, if you think eschatology is this mythical cloud that floats around based on the opinions of whatever great thinker's been sitting around in his study doing yoga on the inversion table, well, he reads John and watches Left Behind for the 15th time upside down, you're not going to get eschatology. But if you understand that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works, and that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, and that the word of God is sure, then eschatology is open to you. You're qualified. You're ready to go forward. You're ready to get something out of eschatology because you are trusting in the one that spoke instead of the people that talk about the one that spoke. As long as you're trusting the people that are talking about the one that spoke and what he said, your faith is not faith. It is a bunch of hearsay and conspiracy theories. But when you get back to the Bible and put your faith in the word of God, you find comfort because comfort is sure. How many of you, when mommy picks you up out of the road and she brings you in and she says, well, well, Johnny, you might die, but you might not. Nobody can really know. How many of you think that sounds fun and real comforting? But instead, when mommy brings you in and says, you'll be all right, honey, it's okay. Well, okay. Okay, I'm going to make it. It's all right. Listen to me. Comfort is sure. Comfort doesn't leave you floating around, drifting on the ocean like the raging stars and the raging waves in the book of Jude, like most eschatological prophets and preachers will do to you today. Listen to me. It's trash. Listen, this is the message. This ain't no rabbit trail. This is the message. He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. You cannot get comfort from drifting on every current and every tide and every doubtful disputation that comes your way. You've got to get anchored. You've got to get something stable, something steady, something sure, or you cannot get comfort from these scriptures. 
God's will is for you to be comforted. The will of these eschatological um, greats is for you to buy their next book so they can be a multimillionaire and spend the next winter season in the Bahamas with their girlfriends. Maybe some of them aren't that wicked, but there's a lot of that going on. Listen, these guys that are sending out all of this smoke and mirrors eschatology are not of God. God wants it to comfort you. He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Comfort is simple. Comfort is sure. And comfort, comfort is sweet or it's not comfort. Here comes the little boy and the mommy, as we said before, she says, get out of the road, stupid. Listen, you're not smart enough to know this for yourself. Get in this house. Sit down. Get those tweezers. Pick that rock out. I'm not doing this for you. You're going to do it for yourself. Man up, you little twerp. Why'd you do that anyway? I'm a whole lot smarter than you. I know more than you. And you need to just respect me and shut up and stop your crying. Would that be comfort? No. No comfort there at all. But instead, oh, you poor thing, come here. You really should have known better, but you will learn. I hope you'll learn. Did you learn from this? Yes, mommy, I learned from this. Good. I'm so glad you learned from this. Let me let me rub that for you where that where you've got that bruise. Oh, let me pick that rock out over there. I'll put some ointment in. Oh, look the other way. Well, I get this rock out. Oh, you poor dear. And now you've got sweetness. And the sweetness brings the comfort. Comfort is sweet. Comfort is sweet. Now I'm I'm as again I am as against effeminacy as God is, who says that the effeminate will go to hell. God said the effeminate are going to hell. That's what God said. Read it in your Bible. Look up the word if you have to. <coughs> I'm against effeminacy. We need some men who will be men. But even full grown stout men like comfort from their wives when they're homesick. They've been working hard. They can buck a 40-foot log by themselves with a log jack. They don't need anybody or anything. They're out there in their overalls and their boots and their flannel shirt with their great big bushy beard that would scare a bear away. And they're out there throwing logs and trees and, and spitting and knocking rocks out of the road for their um, skitter to get through. Big, tough lumberjack men, and they get home, and they've got the... They've got a head cold, and they're sniffling, and they're snotting, and they lay down, sit down in the chair, and they lay their head back, and they don't move. And the wife comes through and says, Honey, do you need something? They go, Yes. And they want their wife to come over and say, Oh, you poor dear, and sit down on the edge of the chair and kind of lean over on them and hold their head close and rub their face and pet their beard and... And they like sweet. So don't tell me you don't like sweet either. When you want comfort, you want sweet. No matter how tough you are, you want it sweet. Comfort is simple. Comfort is sure. And comfort is sweet. (coughs) You get into this end times prophecy stuff. And you get ate up with it until you look like a chihuahua that just had an energy drink. About three monster energy drinks. Your eyes are about to bug clean out of your head. Your ears are sticking straight out. The hair's sticking out on your neck. You can't hardly sleep at night. You're just up researching, 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 reading, reading, reading the next YouTube channel, watching the next um, doomsday survivor expert on there on YouTube trying to tell you who the beast is. He's got an inside track, and he's figured out who the... He's got his top ten you can watch, and you're sitting there online scrolling through the web pages, reading all about... all about what's going to come next and who's going to come and who's going to do this and how the one world government's going to consolidate and do this and that and the other and you've got it about all figured out and you can't hardly sleep because you're ate up with it listen it ain't sweet nothing about it sweet it stinks and you missed the whole thing it's about comfort you need to shut the computer off shut the tv off shut the internet off and get your bible out and read it again and again and again and ask god for comfort never met a man that got one to christ by learning about all of the modern conspiracy theories Some of those conspiracy theories, you guys out there are offended because some of your conspiracies are are right, and some of them are right. Some of them are real. 
Some of them are happening, but listen to me, it doesn't matter in the scope of eternity. And you need to get your Bible out and get back in your Bible and get some comfort from the Holy Ghost of God. So here in 1 Thessalonians, let's finish reading down through the end of the chapter. He says, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, by the word of the Lord. There's that word again. This we say unto you, by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Go to John 14. Jesus Christ on his way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has just left the scene to go and betray him. He's got his faithful 11 with him, and he's on his way up to that um, Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. (coughs) Excuse me. And listen to these words that Jesus Christ has for his disciples. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. Let not your heart be troubled. This stuff you're reading and watching and hearing about that's bringing trouble to your heart, you need to drop it. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. This stuff that's confusing and that's only for the super elite, all of these weird theologies that come out, you need to drop them and get back to the simplicity that is in Christ. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And I believe it when it says mansions. I don't get a room, I get a mansion. I'm not sharing my mansion with you either. If you think you get a room in my mansion, forget about it. Oh, you bunch of Bible correctors, I get a mansion. Whatever you get, I'll leave that between you and God. You might just get a broom closet. You keep on correcting his word if you even get in. But I get a mansion because God said mansion, and I believe mansion. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. What did he just say he would do if he went in verse 3? If I go to and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there, may, there ye may be also. That's some comfort. He says, if I go away, I'm going to come back. Do you know what we can know and be sure of? That Jesus went away, so therefore Jesus is coming back. We can be sure about this fact. Now, I know there's all these kingdom nowers and all this and amillennialists and and everything else out there that you can think of that say that Jesus is not coming back. A bunch of heretics is what that they are, denying what Jesus Christ said, contradicting Jesus Christ to his face. Got no time for that trash. Jesus said, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the father, but by me, I want you to get a hint here. Jesus is not trying to lose his disciples. He's not walking through the woods, doubling back crossing his path, walking through the creek, looking over his shoulder, trying to see if he's gotten them dropped off in the woods and lost yet. He's he's walking them as a shepherd walks his sheep. He's keeping them. He says, ye know the way. Thomas says, we we don't know the way. We poor sheep, we don't understand anything. And Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. Get your eyes on me, Thomas. I am the way. 
If ye had known me, ye should have known my father also, and from henceforth ye know him, and have seen him. Philip saith unto him, here goes Philip with his sheep bleat. Bah! Philip saith unto him, Lord, show us the father, and it sufficeth us. Jesus saith unto him, have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the father. How sayest thou then, show us the father? Believest thou not that I am in the father, and the father in me? The words that I speak unto you. I speak not of myself, but the father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Believe me that I am in the father and the father in me, or else believe me for the very works sake. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I shall do, shall he do also. And greater works than these shall he do. And greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do that the father may be glorified in the, in the son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. I don't know why it is. When we get to eschatology, we think that Jesus has left the scene and he wants us to wander in the mists of darkness and uncertainty because he's never been like that and he never will be like that. He's our shepherd and he's leading us and he's guiding us and he says the way you know. You know why most of you out there don't understand eschatology? It's because your minds are full of junk and doubt and you don't believe you can understand eschatology because it's been given this big word eschatology and that's a scary word and then everybody acts like you have to have a college degree in that field to have a valid opinion and that is a lie. It's the doctrine of Nicolaitans. Jesus is your shepherd. Jesus wants you to know Jesus is the way. Follow Jesus. Get your eyes on Jesus. Read your Bible. Ask God for understanding and he will give you light. (coughs) Hallelujah. Look at what he says next. If you love me, keep my commandments and I will pray the father and he shall give you another comforter. Here in our text, 1 Thessalonians 4.18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. This aligns um, lines up with what we're seeing here in, in John 14, 16. And I will pray my father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. So we find that the apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Ghost, is comforting the Thessalonican church with what we would call eschatology. End times prophecies and revelations. He is comforting the church with what is going to happen. And we find that Jesus left a comforter. In fact, here, Jesus Christ is introducing the Holy Ghost in the New Testament in a new role. A role that he has not hitherto had. A role that the Holy Ghost has never had before. That he would come and abide with you forever. This is absolutely key. This is, listen to me. You guys say, I thought we were talking about end times. If, listen, this is it right here. This is the key. If you can get these basic, fundamental, foundational truths that we're talking about today, end times will fall into place. It will make sense. You will be able to read your Bible and understand it. If you will look to Jesus and trust the comforter and ask for wisdom and look for comfort in the Holy Ghost in the scriptures, you will get understanding of end times and revelations. The words of the wise and their dark sayings. These things are not to the wise. The Bible says the race is not to the swift. It's, listen, it's not the wise. It's not the erudite. It's not the ones with the scholastic theology degrees that are going to understand the word of God. It's the humble and contrite one that trembles at the word of God and comes to the word as a little child, like Thomas here, like a little sheep, bleating, Lord, show us the way. And what did Jesus say? One of the greatest verses in the whole Bible. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And if you will come to God as a little child, if you will come to God seeking comfort, if you will come to God seeking light for your trials and for your troubles, God will give you light. It's His will. It's God's will for you to understand His Word. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. 
He says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. So here we have another coming of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus died, went away. You're going to find that all throughout these four chapters of John, 14, 15, 16, 17, leading up to his crucifixion, that Jesus is going away and they're going to be fearful. They're going to be sorrowful, he says, but when you see me again, you'll rejoice. And that's when he rose, he came again. But then we find that Jesus went to the Father in John and chapter 20 and verse 17, Mary sees Jesus and he says, touch me not. I've not, I've not yet ascended to my father. But then it, by the, like three verses later, he appears to the disciples having been to the father. So he went away again and he came again and then he disappeared from that room and Thomas wasn't with him. One of the gospels tells us. So guess what? He came back again and that's three times back to back. And then he apparently went away again because Peter said, I go a fishing and they went up to Galilee, didn't see Jesus. Peter went out of fishing and then Jesus came unto them again and they saw him on the bank again. You see, Jesus has gone away and come again many times. But there's one thing that has always been consistent. All these people are like um, trying to nail down the timing of Christ's second coming. Well, I've got, I've got news for you. Christ has come and come and come and come and come again. And the reality that God wants you to get in your heart is if I go away, I will come again. What Jesus has told us is there will be times where it seems like he's not near, but he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If I go again, if I go away, I will come again. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come unto you. And there's another coming of Jesus when he gave the Holy Ghost. Because I and the Father are one, Jesus taught. And we also know from the scriptures that the Holy Ghost and the Father are one. And the Holy Ghost and Jesus are one. These three are one. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And when Jesus Christ came and indwelt his believers, Jesus came to them again. This is going to get us into a really important key discussion here in just a second. Let's look at this comforter, comforter just a little bit longer. We have verse 18. <clears throat> well, let's just jump into this now. Christ said, look not here. Say not look here, look there. He said, lo, the kingdom of God is within you. And I know there's people that want to split the hair and say the kingdom of God is one thing. The kingdom of heaven is the other thing. I don't see that really. And I, if that's true, the Lord hasn't shown it to me yet. <clears throat> but I will tell you this. Right now, the kingdom is within you. But there'll be coming a day when the kingdom is without you. Right now, the kingdom of God is a hidden thing. But there'll come a day when the kingdom of God is an open thing. And so a lot of times what will happen is these theologians will take the kingdom of God within you and apply it to the times that the kingdom of God and the Bible is without you. And they'll take the times that the kingdom of God is without you and apply it to the times the kingdom of God is within you. And they'll scramble your brain like eggs in a skillet. Until you've got no idea what's what or which way's right, which way's left, what's up and what's down. And they lose you in the forest of their scholastic theology. And it proves that they're not good shepherds. Because the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And Jesus Christ, the great shepherd, didn't lose a single sheep. And even when it comes to end times theology, listen to me. I want you guys to get this. and I want you to get it down. There is nobody in this room and there is nobody that will listen online that does not have the potential and the promises of God to unlock every end times mystery that God has given and made available. There are some that are sealed. Remember the seven thunders that uttered their voices and John was going to write, but he said, write these not for the saying is sealed. There are some things that are sealed, but there are everything else that God said is available for you to understand and believe. Now, God in his wisdom will decide how much light to give you and how much light will just puff you up. And so he may withhold some of it from you and you may just have to go on in faith following the master. But that's part of his design too. You don't need the big books. Listen, you don't need the big books. You don't need that big $40 prophecy book that came out with the giant picture of the globe and the big name of the big man on the big TV show with the big money and the big suit and the big crowds to tell you what the Bible means. You just need the Bible. You just need the Bible. And you need the Holy Ghost, the comforter. 
It says here, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you yet a little while and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. Here's this kingdom, this, I, this concept of the waiting kingdom. You see, Jesus, according to Hebrews, sits at the right hand of the Father from henceforth, expecting until his enemies be made his footstool. The kingdom is not in the world, but the kingdom is in you and you are in the world. And there's a difference here, and you've got to get it. This kingdom now theology blends these two things. It's a doctrine of devils. It's right out of hell. But the kingdom is within you now. Do you see the difference? Are you following this at all? There are those that teach that we're living in the kingdom of God right now, that Jesus is ruling and reigning with a rod of iron, and they drank some kind of Kool-Aid somewhere to get that. It's absolutely nonsensical. They've spent too much time in their convent with the nuns. And I'm talking, yeah, we'll leave that where it lies. They spent too much time off by themselves eating mushrooms or something in the woods, and they never came out. The king, God, Jesus Christ, is not ruling and reigning on this earth right now, but he is ruling and reigning in this heart of this preacher right now. So the kingdom of God is within you, Jesus said. And it is. But the kingdom of God is going to be on earth for a thousand years, and then the earth will be destroyed, and a new heaven and a new earth built, and that earth will last forever, just like the Bible says, and Jesus will rule and reign there for eternity, his kingdom without end, as the Bible says. So this, it's all, listen, basically what it boils down to is the Bible's right. Everything the Bible says is true. The Bible's right about everything that it says. And you don't have to try and pick and choose which part of what the Bible says you're going to believe. You believe all of what the Bible says. You don't need to make your own special doctrine to accommodate part of what Jesus said and then ignore other things that Jesus said so that you can protect your pet doctrines. So Jesus will come again bodily with his bride as the word of God teaches and um, our position in Christ well on earth is in Christ. But when that position becomes practical and we're united with Christ in the consummation, the wedding supper of the lamb, we will come back with Christ in glorified bodies to rule and reign. Hallelujah. Now that's here. Um, he says at that day, you shall know that I am in my father and ye in me and I in you in verse 20. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Verse 22, Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou wilt manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, if a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. So here is that internal kingdom of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost living and dwelling and reigning within the heart of the true born-again believer. This is why Jesus would say um, in chapter 17, they are not of the world. I pray not that thou wouldst take them out of the world, but that thou wouldst keep them from evil. Now here he says in verse um, 26, he talks about he that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the fathers which sent me. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you. Verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost... Whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. What did Jesus just say the Comforter would teach you? Who was paying attention there? He would, the Comforter will teach you all things except how to speak in tongues and understand prophecy. You've got to go to some big school for that one, right? No. What did he say? The Comforter will teach you all things. The Holy Ghost will teach you all things. He will teach you end times prophecy and revelation. God will teach you. You say, yeah, but, but what about all the prophecies where you have uh, this king does that and that king does that and we can go back in history and see all this stuff. Listen, some of that's useful, but stick to your Bible. Stick to your Bible. History's not certain. History's not sure. As is obvious, people are constantly revising history. Just, just stick to your Bible. We've, we've sold ourselves for apologetics in this nation. We've sold ourselves to apologists, which are false and miserable comforters. 
Miserable comforters are ye all, said Job to his friends, and so say I to the apologists out there. Get back to the Bible. Get back to the word of God. Verse 26, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. This is the key to understanding theology and eschatology, end times prophecies. This is the key. And listen to me. This is the key to you understanding. It's the key to understanding eschatology. The Holy Spirit of God, the coming of the comforter is the key. And then look at the next chapter here. I want to see chapter 16 and verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Jesus said, I spoke these words to you that ye might have peace. And anybody that's teaching you their end times theology and it ends up where you don't have peace, you just have worry and fret and seven years of rations and you're constantly looking for the Antichrist, you've missed everything God wanted you to get. This is for comfort and comfort is simple. Comfort is sure and comfort is sweet. First Thessalonians 4.18, wherefore comfort one another, wherefore comfort one another in these words. Father, we thank you for these words, and we thank you for the comfort that you've given us. We worship you today. We praise your holy name. We bless your name, for you are good. Your mercies endure forever. Great is thy faithfulness. Help us, Lord, as we get into the times and the seasons a little bit that the Thessalonican church knew about. In chapter 5 and verse 1, Lord, we need your wisdom, and we need your comfort. Help us, Lord, to rest in the simple, sure, sweet words of God, and to let no man um, defraud us and entangle us and and to take our minds away from the simplicity that is in Christ. We love you today and we worship you in Jesus name. Amen.